Oh, there we go. Well, uh, Karen, first off, I'd like to welcome you. And I'm glad to see you. Uh, basically, what we do on these Skype calls is to build relationships. And that relationship building is different than the way that we would normally think. Um, that when this kind of call and the way that you're talking uh, would be at the ordinary level. And the ordinary level would be uh, Guru Sheila, client and therapist, doctor, patient, uh, landlord and resident, um, uh, cops and robbers. Okay. And the way that uh, we're going to do this at uh, a super mundane level is, is that we're just friends. This is the way to start is, is that our relationship will be a, a relationship of friendship rather than one up, one down. That the one up, one down relationship is what our entire society is built upon. Uh, and that um, that society that's built upon that also uh, the words like capitalism are there. And that capitalism can be uh, understood to be nothing more than one person exploiting another. And so the one who's doing the exploiting is on one top or one side and the one who's being exploited on the other. And so if we get out of capitalism, then what is left is socialism. Now, the capitalists, they really hate that word socialism. Because what that means to me, them is, is that whatever I have done all of these years to rip people off and gain things and get my power and be the top dog and never mind how many people I've hurt. If socialism comes along, that means that someone is going to take away from me what I have accumulated to give it to somebody else. If you think about it like that, that's just more capitalism. Sure. Okay. That real socialism is I've got plenty. I've got enough. I've got so much that I'm willing to share. And when everybody has that attitude, that's a different attitude than I've got mine and I don't want you to take mine from me. But rather everything is complete already because we already have the idea or the feeling that there is enough and so this is actually what needs to um, be fostered or to uh, to build up on this is actually the practice if you can think of it like that this is actually the practice of zazen just sitting which means that You've already got everything you need. So it could be just sitting. I can just sit here because I've already got everything I need. I've got everything I want and I'm already completely satisfied. And so now finally I can just sit. And perhaps we can add the word just sit and relax. Because we've already got everything. This is what needs to be practiced. And yet what most Westerners come to the practice of meditation from the capitalistic point of view of I need something 
and I'm trying to get it from meditation. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And uh, that's one of the pieces that's often missing is the, the part of it is, is that we're not practicing to get something. We're practicing to be satisfied with what we already have. Rather than just even just chasing more, 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 more states, too. Mm hmm. So. Um, the practice of Anapanasati is the practice then of removing unwholesome thoughts from the mind and, and putting wholesome thoughts in the mind. So the unwholesome thoughts would be of the thoughts of capitalism. I need this, I need that. I could go get it from this place, I can go get it from that place. And uh, the actual more noble position would be, I don't need anything. I've already got what I need. And in fact, all you need right now in this particular moment is the next breath. If you don't take that next breath, then you've got a problem. But if you do take the next breath, then you've got all you need. And so we look at it from a very narrow context in the sense of rather than looking at it for what I need for next week or next year or what I need after I die. We can say, no, we're looking at what is needed right now. And the answer is, we don't need anything right now. Nothing. Everything is already okay right now. This is the practice of Anapanasati in a, a, a way of looking at it. So, um, more into the actual language of the Buddha, we look at the things like uh, the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Noble Path. I think, in fact, the Zen even has um, a bit of that kind of Buddhism. Do they ever talk about the uh, uh, Eightfold Noble Path? Yes. Okay, so let's talk about that. The, the entire teachings of the Buddha could be uh, wrapped up into just one little saying, and that is Dukkha, Dukkha Naroda. You probably heard the word Dukkha before. Yeah. You know what it means. Yeah, I've heard different translations, but one, some would, uh, I've heard suffering, but I've heard all the refinements of it as uh, in our modern world and postmodern world, actually redefining dukkha as actually reactivity. No. Duke, reactivity is what we do about dukkha, react to it. Hmm. What what is dukkha? Actually, um, the word suffering uh, is possible to be used. It's part of the issue. Uh, but if you took a book, a Dharma book, and walked down the street of your Abbey city, uh, perhaps quietly or at a uh, 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 strong voice or screaming at the top of your lungs. This book will teach you how to not suffer. 
sound familiar? <laughs> and nobody will say, oh, I want that book because I am suffering. But if you get into a conversation with that person who is not suffering, they will admit that uh, there are a lot of dissatisfactions in their life. Things they would like to be different, things to be changed. That's the dukkha, is unsatisfactoriness. Mm. Not and much. when things are really, really super unsatisfactory, we can call it suffering. And um, dukkha, dukkha naroda, the word naroda means the ending of suffering. And many, many Westerners, when they hear this term dukkha, dukkha naroda, the way that they think about it, the way they practice it is dukkha, dukkha, more dukkha. Let me investigate dukkha. Let me get really into it. I want to know the real nature of dukkha and more dukkha and insight to dukkha and deep meditation into dukkha. Maybe someday. If I practice hard enough and long enough, I could be free from this dukkha. Now, that's the way that most people practice. The teachings of the Buddha is completely opposite of that. The teachings actually are dukkha, dukkha, naroda, in the sense of see the dukkha right now and remove it right now. Don't dwell on it. Don't look at it. Don't keep going to it. Don't note it. but rather remove it. And um, an example of that would be real alligators. If you had an actual real alligator in your room, an alligator in your bed, an alligator in your car, you would want to get rid of that alligator. And that alligator might, in fact, give you some resistance about what it's going to do. But the, really al the real alligators don't exist like that. There are no real alligators. There's no look around your room. There's no alligators there, are there? No. OK, but the alligators, in fact, that we deal with all the time are the ones that are in the mind, our own mind. We create our alligators. We remember alligators from our past when we bring them up. And we remember them. And so we actually create these alligators and that these cre mentally created alligators were fairly easy to create. A real alligator is not so easy to create. There's no alligators that I know of except perhaps in a zoo in San Francisco. And so you've probably got less than a dozen alligators there. And yet how many alligators are in the minds of the people in San Francisco? A lot, especially these days. <laughs> All right. So now we understand that those kind of alligators are fairly easy to create because there's so many of them. That should mean that they're so they're also fairly easy to remove because all we have to do is change what's in the mind. And that's where the practice comes in. This is the real practice of, of Anapanasati, is to take the right effort out of the Eightfold Noble Path, to take the right effort to remove the alligator that is in the mind in this particular moment. 
That's the way that the that it's to be practiced. Now let's look at it a little bit more. Let's go back to Dukkha Dukkha Naroda as the overall teaching, and that that teaching breaks down into the Four Noble Truths. But there is a sutta where the Buddha says specifically, I only teach one thing. Both formally and now, I teach only one thing, and that is Dukkha Dukkha Naroda. And the way that that's taught, then, is in the Four Noble Truths. And so you break that package down immediately into this is Dukkha, this is the cause of Dukkha, is the second noble truth. This is what it is like to be free from Dukkha, the third noble truth. And this is the method that we're going to use to remove the Dukkha. Now, when we use the word path, that was actually uh, not necessarily a good translation. The, a better translation is the word method, because a method can be applied right now. For instance, how do you open a door that's locked? The method normally is, is that you get the key, you put the key in, you turn the key, you turn the knob, and the door opens. And that's all there is to it. That's a method. A path, though, sounds like that you've got to go traveling. It's going to take a long time. All right? But the word path means that you've got a destination where the key to the opening the door, there you are. You open the door and that's it. And that's all we need to do. So everything is right in this present moment. And so this is the way that we practice, is we're not trying to practice to get some outcome in the future. We're practicing to get the outcome right now, this very moment. And if we can get good at doing it in this present moment, then we build confidence that we can do it in the next moment. And then if we can do it in this moment and then do it in this, this next moment, and we keep practicing over and over again, we develop confidence. And that confidence then uh, is all that we need, is that confidence that I can, in fact, take care of this present moment. I can handle it just fine. Why? Because I've been practicing to handle this moment rather than having this moment handle me. And so the, there's a big attitude change. And so basically going to, the, to this method, the method is right view, right sati, right effort, and right um, attitude. When we put these things together, it comes up with right noble organization of the mind when the mind is organized when it's unified when it's put together this is this is the um uh the position or uh uh the moment in this moment when the mind is organized it's noble in this moment when the mind is organized correctly and noble our sila is good for instance if you don't want anything then you're unlikely to go harm somebody to get it. If you don't want anything, then you're unlikely to go steal it. When you're satisfied in this present moment, you're not going to be doing things to get to of capitalism that winds up taking things from other people. Because there's nothing they've got that you want. 
Yeah. Isn't that marvelous? Very. Okay, so this is how we practice. And, and people say, yeah, well, I can practice that, but it doesn't stick. Well, that's because you expect this moment to do it for next moment. And that's not right uh, uh, effort. The right effort is, is to take the right effort in this moment over and over and over again. This is the, the way to practice, okay? So let's look at this Eightfold Noble Method. It's broken down basically into three groups. One is Sila, the other one is Samati, and the other, third one is Panya. Now, in ordinary Buddhism or in the mundane Buddhism, they uh, work with Sila, Samati, Panya in that order. In other words, we have to teach our children to behave themselves or they'll never get a chance to sit down and meditate. And so Sila, we teach our student, our kids right from the very beginning. That's the mundane way of doing it. And it's in fact that mundane will keep us in a mundane place of trying to follow the rules for the rest of our life. But if you think about it this way, Oh, if you're going to practice sila samati panya, then all you have to do to get perfect sila is to sit down and to close your eyes. And at that point, your sila is perfect. When you're sitting in meditation, when you're sitting there with your eyes closed and your um, uh, hands still, you're not molesting anybody, you're not lying to anybody, you're not doing anything harmful. And so in that regard, Sila can come first, but it comes immediately. That you just stop doing what you were doing before to harm others and to sit down and do nothing. That's perfect Sila. So we can then go to the other parts of it. But in the noble way of looking at it, we start not with, with Sila, but rather Sila winds up being the, um, a byproduct. The noble way of looking at it is to get the mind cleaned out so that uh, we don't want anything. And if we don't want anything, now our sila is perfect. So when we sit down, we're going to do it from this perspective of the Four Noble Truths, not starting with sila in order to uh, still the mind to get samadhi so that we can then get some wisdom but rather we start with the wisdom in the beginning and that that would eventually, uh, without any effort, because we've got the wisdom, will lead to the sila. Does that make sense? Yeah. Once in mundane way of doing it, you start with sila, you get your act together, and then you begin to figure out what's going on. Um, here, we start with this is how things are. Check it out. And when we're living that way, our life becomes good enough. Our sila is good enough. It's fine if our life is good enough. So this Four Noble Truths of Dukkha means that if we can see the Dukkha and we know, and can, can see the cause of it, then we can come right out of it immediately and come into that Third Noble Truth position. And so this is something that students are uh, invited to experience 
is this third noble truth. Get yourself into a state where you're free from suffering, which means that you're satisfied. How can we get ourselves satisfied? How can we actually experience that third noble truth? Well, the answer is the method that we're talking about here. Now, in this regard, um, right view comes first, the way that we see things. Now, ordinary uh, right view uh, takes a viewpoint or a view position to where uh, mundane, excuse me, super mundane right view is to begin to see things from as many different perspectives as you allow yourself. So that noble right view actually is more of an investigation than it is uh, the kind of view that we have uh, at the mundane level. A mundane uh, view would kind of be like a viewpoint or a world view that we kind of think we know how the world is. And so we have that kind of a world view to where right noble view is investigate, 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 and don't come to conclusions but to keep investigating. Why? Because if we come to a conclusion, that conclusion in time may shift. And if we cling to that conclusion that we drew, then we're going to be missing some stuff. But if we continue to investigate, this is how we want to look at things, is is that the investigation, right noble view comes first, but we need sati. Now, what is sati? Sati is in fact, to wake up. I know that in modern uh, Western Buddhism that the word sati has been translated into the word mindfulness. But mindfulness doesn't quite have the power or the punch or the impact that we need. Uh, and also mindfulness tends to mix things together. But when we draw it out and look at sati as real sati, what that actually means is to wake up, to really wake up, to really note what's going on. Uh, You've heard the expression to wake up and smell the coffee. Yeah. Okay. That's basically what we're talking about is to wake up to see what's going on, to wake up to smell what's going on, to wake up to look at what's going on, to hear what's going on, This is what it's really all about, is to wake up and to be here now. To wake up to this present moment and to be here now. This is what sati is. And it also has the quality of the word to remember, in the sense of to remember to wake up, to remember to look, to remember to investigate. Right? Okay, so um, the next item on the list, and we'll talk about sati a lot. Uh, as we go into it. But the next item on the list is a key ingredient that most people are missing, and that is one's right effort. The right effort is the um, is the point where so many in the West are not um, practicing correctly because they're not taking the right effort. And so I would say then that the right effort has the quality of... Um, to continue to investigate would be one of one's right effort to recognize when one is in wrong view to change our view into noble right view. This is one's right effort. 
to remember to keep investigating. Another aspect of right, uh, which is what we want to get into, is, is that one changes the thoughts. When one has right effort, we're going to ha take the effort through our right view to change the thoughts from unwholesome to wholesome thoughts. We're going to change the thoughts from unwholesome to wholesome thoughts. That means that we're going to not deal in the past because if we're thinking about the past, we're more than likely going to think about problems of the past. We're going to think about uh, things that gave us remorse, things that gave us worry, things that agitate us, uh, things that we want. That you can sit and reflect about all the things that you want all the things that you've thought about from the past and the things that you didn't get and you can work yourself up into a great deal of misery by just reflecting upon all the failures and all the things that you wanted that you didn't get that in fact the past is pretty dangerous because we spent our lives in the mundane going around literally wanting a lot of stuff that we didn't get and so staying out of the past and staying in this present moment is also part of one's right effort to remove the thoughts of the past and to put in wholesome thoughts. Well, wholesome thoughts are thoughts about right now. Thoughts about this present moment. Thoughts about the breathing. Thoughts about the thoughts themselves. Thoughts about how I feel. Thoughts about what the body is doing. And also thoughts about how things are in the sense of the Dhamma. That's one thing that's really interesting is, is that the Dhamma is considered wholesome. So when we're thinking about the Dhamma, we're thinking something wholesome. When we're thinking about Grandma or Aunt Susie, more than likely we'll be starting into unwholesome thoughts. And if we think about that drop-dead gorgeous babe we saw last week, for sure we're going to go into unwholesome thoughts. So... Staying in wholesome thoughts, this is one's right effort. What are the kind of wholesome thoughts then that we would have would be the kinds of thoughts that would brighten or gladden the mind, to take it out of its ordinary state and take it into a more uplifted, exalted state. Those would be words like, everything is okay right now. Everything is fine. This is okay. I like this. These are the kinds of thoughts that we want to start having and that we're actually beginning to corral or box the mind in. You've probably heard of the concept of the mind being a monkey mind. Yeah. Okay. What that means is the monkey mind will jump from here to there to there, that it's, uh, Freud called it free association. That when you're having this thought, who knows what the next thought's going to be. And so we just kind of ramble around. And most likely we're going to, when we're rambling, we're going to ramble into something that's painful. All right. Yeah. If we ramble into something that's painful, there we go. We're off into dukkha. If we can remember, oh, I don't have to wander off into uh, thoughts of the past, that I can be here now then this is the right way of practicing. The right way to practice is to be here in this present moment, to be here now, 
and to do so joyously, to actually begin to develop joy. Everything really is okay. Isn't this nice? Isn't this marvelous? Things are nice right now. Everything is good to go. Everything is all right. These are the kind of thoughts that we will have, and by doing that, we're actually nurturing ourselves because most of the thoughts that we have are thoughts of critical. We have, we're, we're critical. We say, this is good, this is bad. But in this practice, we're going to recognize that we're not going to deal with what's good or what's get bad. We're just going to nurture and say, everything is okay right now. Everything is fine. You're good to go. Everything is all right. No worries. No problems. This is gladdening the mind to help the mind come to a state of uh, satisfaction. And when we do this, we actually begin to change the way that we feel. That we literally have been for our whole lives talking ourselves into feeling bad. And now it's time to talk ourselves into feeling good. So this is the way that we're going to do it. We're going to talk ourselves into feeling good. Everything is all right. Everything is fine. There's no problems, no worries. And when that worry starts, oh, but I do have that worry. You say, never mind that. For this moment, we're going to be okay. If we keep doing that, then we actually get ourselves into feeling satisfied. That everything actually is okay. Hmm? Yeah. You recognize everything really is okay, and then we begin to feel like everything is all right. Everything is cool. Everything is all right. And that gives us a sense of satisfaction. In fact, we were talking about alligators before. We recognize that there are no alligators, which means now we can actually feel safe. We can feel safe. This is, there's no alligators. We can feel safe and secure, comfortable. The Thai word is sabai. In the Pali word is sukha. Sukha is actually the opposite of the word dukkha. And so the third noble truth would be to get ourselves into a state of sukha. If you're in the state of sukha, which means everything is okay, everything is fine, everything is all right, then that's what we need to do. If we continue to do that over and over and over again, we begin to have confidence. The confidence is if one time I can do it again. If I can do it again, I can do it again. And we begin to get the attitude that I can do this because we have been spending our whole lives with the attitude of a loser. We started off as a loser. When we were babies, we had to be taken care of. Somebody put our diaper on us. Somebody gave us a bottle to drink or a tit to suck. And we were all right. We needed somebody else to tell us what to do and where to go. We never get out of that. That in fact, the, uh, the places to go and the things to do, we remember from the past. And then we go around giving ourselves orders about what to do, where to go, what to see, et cetera, like that. And inside, somehow, we kind of rebel against it. When we were kids, when somebody told us to do our homework, we would do the homework, but we really didn't want to do the homework. And so now we still have that attitude. Whenever we tell ourselves to do something, we don't want to do it. We resent it. We would rather do something else. Right? So we need to come out of that 
complaining to ourselves about things and start recognizing everything really is already okay. There's no place to go and nothing to do. And the spring comes and the grass goes by itself. You probably heard that. That's Zen. It's a haiku, Japanese haiku. It was written by a, a guy named Boshu. And uh, um, it's actually the essence of the teaching. When you get completely satisfied, there is nothing to do because everything that needed to be done has been done. And there's no place to go because any place that you needed to go to do something, to get something, well, you've already got everything you need. Therefore, there's no place to go and nothing to do. And so that's how that happens. We don't have to work hard at uh, no place to go and nothing to do. That's just the natural, easy outcome of the fact that we've gotten ourselves into a state of satisfaction. Yeah. Satisfied. So we have to practice satisfaction. Have to practice that. How do we practice that? We practice it by gladdening the mind. We practice it by talking ourselves into it. By telling yourself everything really is okay. You really are satisfied. And if we keep saying that, we begin to feel it. Just like we have been talking ourselves into feeling bad our whole life, now it's time to talk ourselves into feeling good. This is the basic practice. Then we've talked about it in the sense of uh, the Four Noble Truths, but most specifically the um, right view is to recognize that we have to keep looking, have to keep observing, keep looking, keep noticing. What's the mind doing right now? What's happening? What's going on? That's just, uh, uh, one's right view. One's right effort is to remember, to look, to look, to take that view, to investigate, to see what's going on. And when we recognize that what's in the mind is not wholesome, now we're going to take the right effort to throw out the unwholesome and to invite in the wholesome. Once we do that over and over again, we get the idea that we can do this. And eventually we come to the point of no matter how obstructed the mind is, no matter how many hindrances there are, no matter what's going on, I can wake up, throw that stuff out of the mind and come back to a state of well-being, a state of uh, this present moment to see how things really are. Now, this is an important point in one's uh, practice. The Buddha says that this is the first knowledge or the first step on the noble path. The first step on the noble path is enough right attitude to say, I can do this, that I can throw this stuff out of the mind. I can come to this point of being satisfied. That's the first step. And so this needs to be practiced over and over and over again to get yourself into the state of being satisfied by gladdening the mind. That we're not trying to go at this time for no thoughts at all. But rather we're going to this monkey mind and say, okay, monkey mind, you have been jumping all over the forest from tree to tree to tree. Now we're going to just stay in one tree. One wholesome tree. 
We can jump around in, the, in that tree, but we're not going to jump around all over the forest. Just to kind of uh, a way of thinking also is to corral the, the mind, like you have a pasture. Um, out in the west, there's uh, places where there's uh, no walls, no roads, no uh, boundaries, no fences, and the horses can run anywhere they want to, including getting into kind of danger. Well, what we want to do is then to take the horse and put it into a pasture so that we know where the horse is. Eventually, we're going to put the, corral, the horse into a corral so that he can be trained. And then eventually, we're going to put the horse into a stall. We're thinking then about the whole mind like that. Right now, the mind has the entire southwest to roam around in, all kinds of dangerous places there. And we're, and we're going to start to corral it, to get it into uh, a place that's, that's secure, comfortable, and peaceful. To put it into a corral, to, to literally bring it home. So you need to create that home for yourself. The home of everything right now, this place is good. This mental state is fine. I really like this. So that's the way that we begin to practice is these four points, right view, right um, noble view, right noble sati, to wake up, right noble effort, is to throw out what we saw in the mind and to replace it with something wholesome. By doing that over and over again, we begin to change the attitude so that we have a nice uh, noble attitude. Got it. So this is how you can start to practice. Alrighty. Okay. So go. Let's do this. I, I'm glad to hear you say you got it. Yeah. This is what we need to do: is to uh, um, to practice this way. So um, let's go ahead and finish this uh, conversation. And uh, when are you going to call again? I'm not sure. I'll uh, I'll let you know uh, if, um, if 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 more more comes up. I just more wa I really wanted just like a, sort of an, an initial sort of introduction. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Well, there's a lot more to do. Yeah. Yeah. So, are you going to call again? I'm not sure. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you, though. I, I appreciate the call. I, I, got, uh, I got a lot out of this, and I really do appreciate it. All right. Uh, normally, what we do is, is that we set up an appointment with students, but uh, if you don't want that, I guess I can handle that pretty well. <laughs> yeah, I'm just not, I'm just, I'm just not sure. I, but I, I really wanted just sort of a, any sort of contact with, with, the, with the teacher and just kind of get a, get a feel for things. But I really do appreciate it. All righty. Thank you. Well, all the best. Practice well. You as well. I really appreciate it. Take care. Okay.